it's difficult to imagine a really effective policy solution to the surveillance problem today, in part because, you know, even if these people stood up tomorrow and said, okay, you know, we've shut all this stuff down, we're just not doing this anymore, uh, the entire program is canceled, you know, why would we believe them? They've lied in the past. You are listening to The Open Web Application Security Project, podcast number 99, with your host, Jim Manico. Hi, my name is Moxie Marlinspike. I am interested in security research and particularly the area of secure protocols. And right now I am in Kauai with a group of people called Open Whisper Systems. And we have a week-long event called Winter Break of Code, where we're working on some privacy-oriented communication apps. So, hey, Moxie, you know, this is OWASP. We don't want to promote commercial activities. Is this all open source? Everything that we're doing is open source. The apps are all free to download, free to use, and the source is licensed under GPLv3. So, you know, this this endeavor, Open Whisper Systems, isn't a commercial or a corporate endeavor It's just an open source project for people who are interested in privacy and secure communication. So Moxie, would you care to tell us about the key projects under the Whisper Systems umbrella? So the people here are working on a few different apps. Some stuff we've been working on for a while and some stuff is newer. And the stuff that we've been working on for a while, sort of the core apps that we have are for, you know, basic forms of communication. So we have an app that is for secure texting that is called Text Secure, and we have an app that's for making secure voice calls that is called Redphone. And so we're working on improving those apps for Android as well as making them available on the iPhone. And then there are a few folks who are working on some newer stuff, some geofencing applications, some secure contact sync stuff, and some alternate means of distribution type technology. So Moxie, we always hear excitement in your voice when you're talking about the Android platform. I see a lot of your work is being done in Android. But in general, when trying to build privacy applications for the different platforms, what's the difference between Android and iOS in your work? We initially started developing these apps for Android just because it was easier in the sense that the platform enabled the the types of apps that we were trying to write. But, you know, something that's really important is ubiquitous support. You want to be able to communicate with anybody, really regardless of what kind of device that they have. And, you know, so it's really important for us to be able to uh, support all of the, the major device platforms. So right now, uh, we have kind of a limited solution where you can only communicate with you, you have to have an Android phone, and you can only communicate with other people that have Android phones. And so it's really important for us to allow people to communicate with people who have iPhones. It's important for us to allow people to communicate to the desktop. And so that's uh, what we're doing here. Is A lot of the work here is about expanding the platforms that we support. In terms of the actual work, it's not, you know, it's just different. So I don't have that much iOS development experience. So most of that development is being done by other people. And I I actually think it's coming along really nicely, and I think it's going to look really slick. So, Moxie, we see uh, TechSecure has has quite a large number of users who are using it now. Why do you have so many users, and how is it being distributed, and what is it being integrated with? So recently, we worked with CyanogenMod, which is an aftermarket firmware version of Android 
So people who have Android devices install this other operating system on their phone instead of whatever they, they get when they purchase the device. And the most popular version, the most popular aftermarket thing like this is called CyanogenMod, and they have 10 million users. And what we did was work with them to integrate the TechSecure protocol into the default SMS provider in the operating system. So what that means is that the operating system itself understands how to communicate using the TechSecure protocol. And so you can use any SMS app um, that you would like on Cyanogen, and whenever it sends an SMS to another Cyanogen user or to someone who's running TechSecure but isn't using Cyanogen, it will automatically just get TechSecureified, where that outgoing message will automatically be encrypted, transported over the data channel, and delivered to the remote user completely transparently. The Cyanogen the user might not even know that this is happening. And so this is really exciting, you know, one, because it is a, a real boost to the TechSecure user base, but also because it really is the pinnacle of what we've been trying to do in terms of making privacy and security as invisible as possible. And we want to reduce the friction to using these types of tools. And, you know, we've now gotten to the point where we have a solution that is literally invisible, that users don't even know that it's happening. Yeah, Moxie, would you care to talk about the protocol underneath the hood of TechSecure and what cryptographic primitives or what kind of work are you doing there that makes it better than other communication privacy applications? Our primary objective at this point with this project is, you know, one, to make tools and products, really, that are as invisible and frictionless as possible. The other thing that we're interested in doing is iterating on the secure protocols that we use, basically pushing the envelope of secure protocols in use on the Internet today. And so we've been looking a lot at um, what we can do for messaging-type protocols and um, right now, uh, OTR, off-the-record messaging, is probably the most popular secure messaging protocol. And so we've been looking a lot at that and ways that we can iterate on that uh, to improve it. And so, you know, when we looked at OTR, there are three main things that make it challenging in some environments. One is that it's not adapted for asynchronous messaging. So OTR is a protocol depends on a synchronous communication between you and the person that you're communicating with. And it assumes that you have a reliable transport where all messages are delivered and that they are all delivered in order. And so that's pretty inconsistent with sort of the direction that the technology is going. As everything goes towards mobile, messaging systems are all asynchronous. And so you don't have this real-time connection with the person you're communicating with. And there's no real guarantee that the person that messages are going to be are delivered in order or at all. The second thing that we looked at was the deniability properties of OTR. OTR emphasizes two main cryptographic properties. One is called forward secrecy, and the other is called deniability. And deniability means that I can have a conversation with you. If you send me a message, I know for sure that it was you that sent me the message, but I can't prove to anyone else that you actually wrote what you wrote. So it's sort of the, the best possible scenario. And we, were, we looked at the deniability properties of OTR and, and found them to be not as robust as we would like. So we did some work to improve that. And then the third thing that we looked at was the forward secrecy properties of OTR. And uh, OTR uses what's known as a ratcheting forward secrecy protocol. And the OTR ratchet is what we call slow. It takes a while for key material to ratchet forward. And particularly in asynchronous environments, that um, exposes 
the participants of a conversation to a potential forward secrecy problem. So those are the three real challenges that we identified with OTR today. And we were able to put together another protocol that is derivative of OTR. It's you know in the style of OTR, but that we think has a much better ratchet, more robust deniability properties, and is fully oriented around the asynchronous communication environment. And so we call that protocol, we call the ratchet axolotl, and the, the full protocol we call the tech secure protocol. So I think it's we're actually in a great place with the protocol right now. I'm really excited about it. And the, the ease with which we could integrate it into Cyanogen, I think, is really exciting because it means that, you know, we have a protocol that, that can really perfectly integrate with the asynchronous messaging environments that are being deployed today in a way that is completely invisible. Moxie, I see that you've written several times about forward security and perfect forward security. Can you tell us a bit about what this concept is and why it's so important? Forward secrecy is a really interesting concept that's very poorly named. So the basic idea is if you look at something like the PGP model, where everybody has a key and every time you send someone a message, you encrypt it with that key and you send it to that person. The problem is that let's say you have a network adversary like the NSA that records uh, years of ciphertext and just stores it. They're not able to decrypt it, but they just keep it around. So they have years of you sending a message to somebody with the same key. And then maybe one day they decide that they're actually very interested in the contents of everything that you've been saying, and they go to that person and are somehow able to either compel or coerce or compromise that same key that you've been using for all that time. Now they can go backwards in time and decrypt everything that you've ever written them during the period that they've been recording ciphertext. So that's a, that's a really unfortunate situation, and that's why the today people sort of feel like the PGP model uh, of protocols is, is a real cryptographic dead end. So instead, what you'd like is a mechanism where that's not possible. That if someone is able to coerce or compel or otherwise compromise a key, that the only thing that they can get is any future communication that that key is used for. But they can't decrypt everything that they might have recorded in the past. And that property itself is what's known as forward secrecy. The reason that it's badly named is that really you want to call it backward secrecy. or That kind of makes more sense. You know, that you have uh, security for things that you've previously transmitted backwards in time. But too late, this is what it's called, and there's there's no changing that. So the way that forward secrecy is implemented can vary. But in protocols, oftentimes, so OTR employs what's known as a ratchet, where basically every time you send a message to someone, you also include one half of a Diffie-Hellman key exchange. And every time they reply, they include their half of the Helmet key exchange. So every time you exchange messages, not only are you exchanging messages, but you're simultaneously ne negotiating new key material. And as soon as you've negotiated new key material, you can throw away the old key material. And so that means that your, your material is really ephemeral, and so there's sort of nothing for anyone to come and compromise later because you're, you're constantly throwing it away. The key material that was used to encrypt past communication no longer exists. And so there are different you know, types of ratcheting protocols, and there are different ways that you can implement that. But that's the basic idea. Moxie, when private keys on a server are compromised, how much of the full message that's leveraging forward security is compromised? 
if a key is compromised, you know, the question is how much material does that affect? And that sort of depends on the type of protocol that you have. So for example, there's one type of protocol that we, we call a hash iteration protocol, where basically all you do is you negotiate a, a secret, and then every time you, see, you use that secret, you hash it and replace it with its hash output. So it's constantly being replaced with the hash of the previous key material. And so what that means is that if you compromise a key at any point in time, you can't go backwards in time. So no previous messages are affected. But all future messages are affected because if you have the key at any point in time, you can calculate any subsequent key just by hashing it uh, iteratively for you know however many rounds have passed. By contrast, if you use a Diffie-Hellman ratchet where you're exchanging these Diffie-Hellman parameters with each message that you send, the window of exposure is a little bit shorter because everything is self-healing. Not only can you not compromise previous key material or previous messages, but you can't use the key that you have compromised in order to derive future keys since they will be based on new Diffie-Hellman key exchanges and you know one is not derivative of the other. Moxie, in almost any programming language, Java, PHP, you name it, when I want to do something as simple as call AES to do symmetric encryption, it's actually quite difficult for me to call the API correctly to do AES, you know, quote-unquote correctly. And I would say this is the same of almost any algorithm on almost any platform. So it's actually, you know, quite difficult for me as a developer to do even basic applied crypto correctly in today's frameworks and languages. Any thoughts on that? So that's an interesting point that even if even if we have secure primitives, so even if we know that AES is good, even if we know that you know, SHA-256 is good, even if we know that HMAC is good, that those secure primitives can't just be thrown together in any random order, that you actually have to combine them in ways that are very particular and special. It's easy to create a insecure protocol with secure primitives. And so there are a number of attempts to deal with this. You know, on one level, you know, the advice in the past has been you know, don't create your own secure protocol. If you want to transmit something over a network, use SSL. If you want to store something on disk, use PGP. And I think that advice is changing a little bit, in part because those two protocols aren't as as great as we uh, once considered them to be. And also because some work is being done to make it easier for people to develop their own ad hoc protocols without messing it up. So one example is DJB's NACL library, pronounced SALT, and that allows you to use sort of higher level primitives called NACL boxes for, you know, creating your own arbitrary secret protocols. Also, I think, you know, it's worth people studying this area of cryptography, studying secure protocols and provable security, because it's actually not that complicated. I think it's within everyone's grasp to understand these things. Moxie, where would one go to study what a secure protocol even is? And uh, I know you've done a lot of work in developing your own secure protocols, but how do we learn about what that technique or how do we learn what that concept of secure protocols even means academically? Actually, I think the first resource that I would recommend is a set of notes by two professors whose name are Balar and Ragaway. 
and they have a set of notes for a cryptography class that they developed together. And they are, Philip Rogway in particular, invented many of the concepts that that we use around provable security for protocols. So he does a good job of presenting those concepts and in a way that I think is actually pretty accessible. It's designed for, you know, college kids. So I, I, I really recommend that as a good place to get started. So Moxie, why are you doing all this? Is it a, a political goal of yours? Is it a, a technical investigation? I mean, you're really sticking your neck out there in a lot of ways. You know, what's What's your... You know, what's the, what's the drive to why you're doing all this work in the area of private communications and politics, for that matter? We're in a position right now where people who are conducting these massive dragnet surveillance programs have lied both publicly and to Congress about the scope of these programs and what's involved. So it's difficult to imagine a really effective policy solution to the surveillance problem today in part because, you know, even if these people stood up tomorrow and said, okay, you know, we've shut all this stuff down, we're just not doing this anymore, uh, the entire program is canceled, you know, why would we believe them? You know, you because know, they, they're, they've lied in the past. And so I think I'm actually much more interested in technical solutions to this problem, because I think it's within our means to make that kind of dragnet surveillance much more difficult and to create attention towards privacy. And I also think that, you know, we're sort of at a point in history where it's possible for a small group of people to to make that happen. You know, that a small group of people who aren't necessarily even well-funded have the ability to create technical solutions that could make this type of large-scale surveillance impossible, even for, you know, extremely well-funded organizations like the NSA. You know, Moxie, there's a quote, all it takes for evil to win is for good men to do nothing. And I really feel you're a good man who's really strongly going out of their way to do good, you know, against a lot of ad adversary. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for giving me a chance to interview you. Do you have any final thoughts before we finish up? Well, thank you for coming and talking to people. I appreciate you, you know, taking an interest in projects like these and giving people who are doing this kind of development a voice for, you know, their efforts. Hi, I'm Corbett. I'm a PhD student at the University of Zurich in computational physics. And as an undergraduate, I studied at MIT computer science and physics. I got involved with Open Whisper Systems last year at the spring break of code. I've been a software developer and hobbyist iOS or iPhone programmer for about five years now, and I've always been actively interested in the political and philosophical implications of cryptography and security research and attended some security conferences. And I, I met Moxie 10 years ago at this point at Hope Hackers on Planet Earth in New York and just have, we followed each other's work since then. So when Moxie needed someone to take on some iOS programming at, at Whisper Systems, he reached out to me and said, hey, do you want to come to Hawaii? And coincidentally, the very next week, I was planning another security researcher's 
birthday party, Jake Applebaum, in Hawaii. And so I thought, hey, perfect. Two weeks in Hawaii, one of more work and, and one of more play and both kind of the security crowd. Lots of fun people, very active, very smart, very political. So my, my type of crew. So I kind of jumped at the offer. And during that week, I started development of TechSecure on iOS. And that product has gotten a lot of interest from people all over the world because it is so successful on, on Android and people really want a usable and encrypted way to communicate on, on their mobile phones and on their smartphones. And up to now, the iOS component of that is has simply been missing. So that's a huge barrier to entry to people, whether they have friends using iOS or they use an iPhone or iPad device themselves. So it's something that we think is very important to bring to the market. And I've had a lot of fun developing the product and kind of seeing through and informing the design of the data channel protocol. So previous to, to starting the iOS port, we had no data channel support on TechSecure on Android either. And of course, that, that's useful to people who want to communicate over a data channel versus the SMS transport layer on Android. But on iOS, it's actually obligatory because on the Android app, technically, you can receive incoming SMSs on Android within the app itself. So it basically can just plug and play, drop out, replace the Android native client. On iOS, we're restricted due to Apple's restrictions, and we can send outgoing SMSs from the app, but we cannot receive them. So kind of obligatory that uh, to enable a successful iOS product, you really needed a data transport. So I had some input. Moxie did the bulk of the, the design of that protocol, but it, it was very cool to be there from, from the early days of that. And now we're kind of going to the next level with that um, with group messaging. So that should be a lot of fun. We were having discussions with, oh, how does WhatsApp do it? Do we have group names, et cetera? So we're designing in that protocol, and it, it should now be very complementary to existing solutions out there with that added layer of security. So pretty excited about that. So you just mentioned that it's almost impossible to replace the SMS client on iOS where it's trivial to do so on Android. In any of your other security or programming work, is there any area where iOS is really limiting from a security point of view where it's easier to accomplish that same security goal on Android? I mean, certainly you have a lot more freedom on Android. Specifically, let me think back to, to what we've really run into being limited by programming-wise. So there are some limitations imposed by the uh, push message format on iOS. So you only have, I think it's 256 bytes for a push payload. So of course, if you want to deliver a message that's longer than that, you're limited. But Android has its, its own associated push message limitation. But surprisingly for the secure messaging, I mean, Apple has a, a reputation for being a little bit more difficult to work with, but that was really the, the major limitation that we ran into. But that is a major limitation because we would really rather, you know, completely replace Apple messaging software 
altogether. And the reality is that some people will still want to SMS, um, especially in the developing world where data channel access may go in and out, whether that's because someone hasn't reloaded their credit for data or they just have don't have access in the, the region that they're, they're in. So especially for the political implications of a, a project like that, it is a serious limitation to, to not have SMS capabilities. So I very often uh, say, hey, I'm a good technician and I'm a bad politician. But a lot of the work that you and your teams are doing here is really at the intersection of, of privacy and laws and politics and technology. And uh, it's not an easy place to be. Any thoughts on that? So I'm definitely more of a technologist than a political philosopher. However, my personal political philosophy says that as a technologist, I always want to have the personal power to create and share software information that I develop. And the political implications of a censored regime that controls your communication just is the antithesis of that. So for me personally, it's very important for no matter the political situation, the ability for people and technologists to freely share information without censorship. And cryptographic protocols are one way to ensure that. I just want to thank you again for being on the show. Any final thoughts before we finish up with you? Well, thanks for coming out. And we'd like to thank you for the pies as well. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, I'm Matt Corello. I'm a student at UNC studying computer science. I am a developer who's been developing various things in the free software world, Bitcoin primarily, for the past few years. And I'm here in Hawaii working on a TechSecure browser plugin so that you can text people from your browser just like a Google Voice plugin and laying the framework for probably being able to text from any other device so you can have your iPod touch or your iPad and you can text via your phone number via TechSecure from that device. So what is TechSecure, and can you please tell me how this project even got started? TechSecure is an awesome free software project that lets you send encrypted text messages to your friends very seamlessly. I mean, the app just works beautifully, and you get very solid encryption to hide what you're sending. The project's a few years old now, I think. Yeah, it was started a while back. Moxie Marlin Spike runs it, and yeah. Would you care to tell us about your history with Bitcoin or any of the work that you're doing with Bitcoin? Yeah, I've been uh, developing on Bitcoin for two, almost two and a half years, just doing various things, contributing to the C++ Bitcoin D, Bitcoin QT daemon, working on Bitcoin J, the Bitcoin library in Java that powers a lot of the Android apps that use Bitcoin stuff and even more server-side stuff now. Yeah, it started as a purely technical fascination because, well, it's a distributed consensus mechanism that actually works, whereas that's traditionally an incredibly hard problem in computer science. And the currency part was kind of just a little extra bonus at the beginning, but it's since grown into something big. So I hear you're doing some work on Chrome plugins. Would you care to tell us about that work? So, I mean, I'm doing or will be doing a lot of crypto stuff in Chrome, and you'd write crypto in JavaScript probably not the best idea, especially we're using Curve 25519, which I'm not aware of any good JavaScript implementations of. So that means a lot of doing native code, trying to run as much on 
direct on hardware via secure, trusted implementations as you can. It's also, you got to get random numbers, which is somewhat questionable in JavaScript. There's a lot of, it, it's kind of, JavaScript's not set up for cryptography right now. And you have to work within the framework and try to essentially get out of JavaScript to do good crypto. So this is almost a, a blasphemous question, but you know, is it possible to do good crypto in, in native JavaScript? Or are there any emerging projects or libraries that will make it you know, easier for us or you know, sound for us as developers to do good crypto within JavaScript? There's a number of implementations of basic things, you know, your AES, your standard hash functions, these kind of things are all implemented in a lot of places in JavaScript. But ultimately, to get the kind of lack of side channel attacks that you want, you really probably don't want to be using something that's like jitted JavaScript. You want some kind of native code, which means native calls for crypto. And there's a lot of that coming in terms of standards being discussed and potentially being implemented, but none of it's really out yet and really usable yet. Would you care to talk about the crypto inside of TechSecure and some of the technical inner workings of how you make it happen? The crypto inside TechSecure is actually a lot like OTR, a bit more advanced. So there's a really good blog post on the Whisper Systems blog that explains in all kinds of gory detail all the details of the protocol. But essentially, for other users of TechSecure, now obviously you can't encrypt your text messages to people who are just using a standard text messaging client because, well, they can't unencrypt it. But for other users of TechSecure, we use a special ratcheting mechanism that's similar to OTR in the sense that you get all the standard non-non-repudiation, and so you get nice OTR-like features like forward secrecy. Would you care to tell us the difference between forward security and perfect forward security and why they matter? The important part about forward secrecy is that as someone who gets just the original, so you have an identity key that represents you that you share with people, your public key that is used for authentication of who you're talking to. Uh, but if you use just standard like asymmetric crypto and your private key for your identity key is compromised, then all of your previous communications can be decrypted. And the important and uh, what forward secrecy provides or the definition of forward secrecy is that if your private key is compromised for your identity key, no one can go back and decrypt all your messages. You still have to leak the keys you're using for the actual communication, which are separate. If you are just communicating with an individual and you only have forward security, then someone who compromises your key, say they get access to your phone and steal your tech secure keys, they will be able to decrypt all of the messages for the future of those sessions with all of the users you're currently talking to. So the important part about TechSecure, we provide perfect forward security, which means that if you leak keys for an existing session, that doesn't necessarily compromise the future of that session because the keys are constantly rotating. So my understanding is when a private key of a server is compromised and that server was using you know, perfect forward security, then that key cannot be used to actually decrypt the message in any way. Is that correct? Yeah, you'll get all of the data that's encrypted with that key, which for TechSecure is a message or a few messages because we have the asynchronicity of texting and these kind of communication protocols. We can't constantly iterate the keys in every message, but you'll get a few messages and that'll be it. You won't get the entire future. 
There have been so many changes in SSL over the last six months to a year, and I dare say it's getting better. I know the past of SSL is pretty awful, but do you think there's hope for a better future and having good SSL for all? We saw recently with LavaBit where the court issued an order that gave up the, that forced them to give up their private key, and because they weren't using forward security, that means everyone who had recently communicated with LavaBit and whose session had been logged could all of a sudden be decrypted. So obviously I'd really like to see it, and we do see some sites. I believe Google has it enabled for all of their services, but you look at people like Microsoft, Facebook, they don't care. And maybe in a few years we'll enforce the standards in SSL and TLS version 5, but it's going to be a while. I mean, I'd definitely like to see it. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Do you have any final thoughts before we finish up? Use Text Secure so that we can all text encrypted. So is Text Secure a fully open source product completely? Certainly, yeah. All of the code is on GitHub. It's all under Whisper Systems. You can Google Whisper Systems. You can find the website. Even the website's open source. It's all completely out there. Build it yourself. So what open source licenses are you choosing to use? The server stuff is a Faro GPL. Some of the client-side stuff is also GPL. It's mostly GPL. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Really appreciate your perspective, and have a great day. My name is Mesquil. I studied in Spain, and right now I'm working in TechSecure, fixing problems and improving the user experience. Also in some new Whisper Systems applications that we didn't release yet for like zone mapping, like to, to define regions of maps and do actions on your phone depending on when you enter in these regions. Here we are in Hawaii, like spending some time on that, enjoying the amazing weather and beach. Hola a todo el mundo y nada, pues desde aquí desde Hawaii, disfrutando un montón del tiempo y de las olas. <laughs> So tell us some about your background. What have you done in the past in the, in the field of IT and computers and crypto? My background is actually not that much on crypto. I've been working before in Switzerland in a research lab in CERN. It's like a physics lab. I don't know. I've been working in several free software projects. And I like to play with new things. So I started playing with that and seeing what I could do. And yeah, it's an interesting project. So, would you care to start by telling us what kind of work you're doing at Whisper Systems? These days, I was like migrating zones, this unreleased application. Up to now, it's been using Google Maps. So, tell us more about what you're doing with the different projects that you're working on now. So, right now, I'm working on zones. It's an unreleased application for Android. And right now this application is using Google Maps and Google Maps have some problems with privacy because it reveals a lot of things about you. And so we are migrating it to OpenStreetMaps and to use community-based maps and free software for it. So tell us more about the technology stack that you're using in the different projects you're working on. I'm a pretty basic programmer. I'm a big love of like command line. So my setup is pretty simple. So I just use uh, Veeam and Java in this case as we are doing uh, Android development. We are right now using the stock OpenStreetMaps app interface for Android that is OS, OSM Droids. So thanks for being on the show. Any final thoughts you have before we finish up here? 
usually install Wish Persistence environment and protect uh, your security. Right now, I think that we all are are using too much tools that their market model is to spy on us, and we need to change that. And I think Whisper System is doing a good work on this direction. So, of course, OWASP is not supposed to be endorsing any kind of commercial project. It's in our bylaws. So how does that work for this interview? Is everything that you're doing open source? It's all open source. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show and talk to us about what you're working on. You're welcome. <laughs> Hello, my name is Rody Orbitz, and I'm here in Hawaii with Open Whisper Systems for the Winter Break of Code. The project I'm working on this winter break would be SecureSync, and that's that's the current name for the project, but we might be calling it something later before we release it. And this is a drop-in replacement for the syncing of calendars and contacts on Android. Currently, all of your contacts and calendars, if you have an Android phone, are backed up to your Google account. This would be a drop-in replacement for that, where your accounts, your account information, your contacts, and your calendars would be backed up still, potentially to Google or potentially to Apple or potentially to open Whisper system servers. We're using two protocols called CardDAV and CalDAV, and both Google and Apple have servers that implement that. So basically, we can persist your user contacts and calendars using open protocols, but we add a layer of encryption, so it doesn't really matter whoever you're saving these with. All your data will still be confidential, and this is end-to-end encryption, so only the user of the phone will have access to that no matter where they store it. So looking at this module you're working on, if I was using it for Google Calendar, does that mean that if an attacker was looking at my calendar, they would just see ciphertext for the title and the body? This is correct, except even the date and time information is going to be kind of hidden because we've decided so far that if you have a, say, an event on, you know, the 5th of this month, that might be kind of sensitive knowing that you have any event on the 5th of this month. So we're saying that at the moment, if you have an account, you know, an event on the 5th of the month, it's always going to show up uh, to Google or to whoever you store, you know, whatever CalDAV server you're using as an event on the 1st of the month or the 30th of the month. So you have a span of about 30 days where you kind of have a level of privacy there, and there's still ciphertext. So what about people that I invite to a calendar setting? Um, would, I, would those email addresses be exposed? Currently, unfortunately, we're not doing no sharing supported. That's going to hopefully happen down the line. But at the moment, it's going to be uh, your calendars and your contacts are basically end encrypted to your phone, and sharing them becomes kind of a problem in that case. But we have some ideas, and hopefully that'll be worked on later. Yeah, well, this is actually a very difficult problem. I'm glad to see you're working on it. So what else are you working on? There's also this project that I started in Spring Break of Code that I'm hoping to wrap up sometime soon. We've actually got somebody else here working on it. It's called, we're calling it Zones. First I called it Polygons, then I called it uh, Red Zone, then it was uh, Zone Guard, and now we finally settled on the name of Zones. And Zones is this geofencing, kind of lost my phone app. So, sorry, yeah, geofence and, like, find my phone app. So, you know, you have, like, find my phone for iPhone, where, like, your phone is lost and you you can track it down. This is kind of the same idea, except we add geofencing on there. So the idea is you have a Google map or an OpenStreetMap. Moving OpenStreetMaps was actually a project for this break. You define polygons within that, uh, just using, you know, kind of touch interface. So you're drawing polygons on this map, and then you can assign actions to entering or exiting these polygons. And I say, you know, if I'm going to enter this polygon or a police station, I want you to factory reset my phone. If I'm going to enter, you know, this polygon that's in my house, well, let's just like pretend, you know, it's a trusted environment. So I'm going to do, you know, X, Y, and Z because I know it's trusted. But we can also say now that, you know, if the phone's lost, 
we have the capability to activate GPS if it's already on, and then you can try and do this find my phone thing. All of the commands that you can assign to geofences for entering and exiting can also be run via XMS from a remote phone number. So you set up you know, an authentication password and say, my phone was stolen and my friend was right next to me. I could just grab their phone and I would text start location updates and then I would periodically get back GPS coordinates. So there's a few things we're still working out as far as usability and as far as, you know, it's kind of weird to get opaque GPS coordinates back in a text message. Like, what do you do with that then? But the base concept is there and the base application is there. And right now we're basically trying to save battery life and figure out usability. So how did you get yourself involved in whisper systems and privacy communication and you know crypto programming and all the scene that you're a part of here? How did you get started with all of this? I guess my first start or my first interest in the security scene or in crypto at anything or even like privacy at all was actually through web application exploitation. So my first really my first true love was kind of XSS and SQLI and like RFI and all that good stuff. Eventually over time, you know, I figured out that I could get better XSS, you know, at, uh, do these things I could, you know, kind of pop more boxes if I ended up writing my own tools. And from that, I started to learn programming. And then I wrote PHP for a little bit longer than I probably knew to. And I started up, I was writing IRC bots in PHP, which was just, you know, ungodly. Like that should never, that should never happen. And I, I figured out, you know, it's kind of, I'm kind of point, pushing this, this language to its limit to kind of move on to something else. And after that, I guess around that same time, I went to, I started going to college. And around that same time, I started, you know, I went for software engineering and writing more software instead of, uh, popping boxes, which is kind of a mixed bag. I have some experience about that. It was fun, but uh, I, don't, I don't get to do that quite as often anymore. My, the first time I joined up with Open Whisper Systems was actually in the spring break of code, which was about six months ago in uh, a different island. Right now we're in Kauai. We did this in Maui in the spring. This was March of last year, actually. So for that, basically, you have to send an application and, you know, Moxie and a few other people read over it. And then they say, oh, cool, come over and, you know, do the project that you said you would do. And the project that I said I would do was this, this zones thing I was talking about earlier. And I thought that was neat. And, you know, it's a cool crew of people. And I think the applications are a lot of fun to work on. And we have like a user base for TechSecure is now 10 million users plus because we are in- integrated with CyanogenMod. So it's definitely, I feel like, you know, the, the work's kind of worthwhile. So from there, from zones, I kind of just kept on with the project and tried to figure out some more things to work on. And I'm hoping to, you know, wrap up zones and wrap up secure sync or sync or whatever we end up calling it sooner than later and you know move on to the next big thing i just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us Uh, any final thoughts before we finish up hack the planet they're trashing our rights man the open web application security project is a 501c3 not-for-profit worldwide charitable organization focused on improving the security of application software our mission is to make application security visible so that people and organizations can make informed decisions about true application security risks. Everyone is free to participate in OWASP, and all of our materials are available under a free and open software license. Please consider becoming an OWASP member today. For more information, please visit www.owasp.org.